Thank you, Rick and Nancy. I love that song, Take the Name of Jesus With You. And uh, it's among my top songs. It's nowhere near Victory in Jesus. But uh, it's up there. I really like that song. John chapter 15 is where we'll be back in tonight. John chapter 15. I told Miss Angie a minute ago that I made a technological oops. And, uh, you know, so I, I've done this before. This is not the first time I've done this. And so, you know, I type my notes up. And then I, I read, I have them here electronically, and I forgot to increase the font size. And it's too late to do that once I've made them a PDF. And so you're just going to hope that I can see my notes, and uh, we'll rely on the Holy Spirit to help me see my notes uh, here as needed tonight. But in John chapter 15 is where we're going to be back in. This morning, if you'll remember, I hope you remember, we soaked our beans, or maybe we didn't. That's really up to you, whatever you want to do in that regards to the beans. But uh, we did talk about the beans this morning. And, but the thing is, whether you soak your beans or whether you don't soak your beans, you're probably going to eat the beans after you cook them. And if you ate the beans, you used a bowl or a plate or something, a fork, a knife, or maybe you didn't need a knife maybe for the beans, but for whatever went with the beans. But then there's something you got to do. you got to wash the dishes. Don't you? Somebody's got to wash the dishes. Unless you ate it with throwaway utensils and plates, and then you throw them away. But we're just going to assume you have to wash the dishes. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to wash the dishes. Not literally, but that's, what, that's, that's the, the illustration that we'll look at tonight. Uh, but you've got to hang on for that, because that's going to come uh, later on in the message. But we're going to go from cooking the beans to washing the dishes as we look at John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned." If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, you, you're, that my, my joy may remain in you and that your joy may remain full. Let's pray tonight. Father, thank you so much that once again you've given us the opportunity to come here into this place and to look into your word and to study your word. And Father, I hope we don't ever take for granted what a blessing it is to do just that, to gather here in this place with these people and to study more about you. And I pray that we would leave here being drawn closer to you. I pray that when we leave here, we really will take the name of Jesus with us. Father, I pray that you'd bless our time together. May you instruct our hearts in whatever you have for us tonight. 
and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we noted that when we abide in Jesus... And when his word abides in us, there's some things that happen. As we looked at really beginning in verse 4 and moving through, we saw that when we abide in Jesus and when his word abides in us, there ought to be evidence of that, right? We called that fruit. That's what Jesus called it. That's what the Bible calls it. It's fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our lips, the fruit of sacrificial love. When we're abiding in Jesus, we said we're included with him. Opposed to those that he talks about in verse 6 that he says are cast out because they don't abide in him. Talking about the unsaved. I want to be included with Jesus. And the result of abiding in him and his word abiding in us is that our prayers are answered. We saw that because as we abide in him and his word abides in us, we pray in accordance with his will. The things that we ask for are things that he wants to do for us and things he wants to do in general. So the result of all of this, as we looked at it this morning, comes from verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is the result of all of this abiding in Jesus, a contagious joy. A joy that Peter described as being a joy unspeakable and full of glory. You're so joyful you can't even describe how joyful you are. But as we look back at the beginning of the text, what we find out in these first few verses is that before the joy gets there, there's often pain involved. That's what we're going to look at in part tonight is the fact that pain may be a part of the process that leads to this overflowing joy. But before we get there, and in order to get to that point, first, we need to make sure we completely understand the vine. This morning I told you that the disciples would have understood the imagery of the vine as being a vineyard because that was a major agricultural uh, production in their day. A significant part of their economy was agrarian and specifically dealt with vineyards and other things. I've only ever seen... Uh, backyard grapevines like the one over here behind the parsonage. Seen some wild grapevines out in the woods, stuff like that. Never, I have never laid eyes personally on a commercial vineyard. Been to these big places where they do it up, you know, where they're producing grapes commercially. I've never been there. But as I was reading, preparing for this night, you know, you just thought I learned a lot about beans, okay? As I was reading up on this uh, for tonight, uh, I was reading, uh, one of the people I was reading about talked about the grapevines in Israel, being, having gone over to the Holy Lands and touring the grapevine, uh, touring the, 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 the vineyards. And he said some of these grapevines were so enormous and they're so old and they, they'd grown so large, he said a full-grown man could hang from it. Now that's not happening in our little backyard grapevines over here, is it? These are some massive, huge vines. I've never seen anything like the cultivated grapevines that, that the disciples and that Jesus would have been familiar with. But I've read about some. Pretty amazing. Turn with me for just a moment. Go with me down, chase this rabbit. In Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13... Children of Israel are 
reaching the promised land. And in verse 1 it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From every tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Skip down to verse 17. Then Moses, because we're skipping that big list of names if you didn't notice. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the, uh, from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, and the descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkel, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshkel, because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. They go in to this promised land to spy it out, and they bring back a cluster of grapes that was so big, they had to put a pole, put it on a pole, and it took two men to carry it. That's a lot of fruit. I tell you, if, if the fruit of the Spirit's exhibited in my life, I, I hope it's that much one day, don't you? That's a lot of fruit. I don't know if by the time Jesus and the disciples are around, if they ever see anything that big or not. I, I don't know. But they knew that story. Jesus certainly knew it. I'm sure the disciples knew of that history. They knew what grapevines could produce. They knew they could produce the big clusters. But there's another bit of imagery other than just the agrarian concept when it comes to the vine. And this one is a lot more important. If you turn with me to the 80th Psalm. In the 80th Psalm, we find a Psalm of Asaph. If you look up in the superscript that's in the New King James Version, up above the psalm, the little title they put above the psalm, it says a plea for the return of God's favor. God's favor upon whom? Israel. Because what's happened? Israel's done what Israel does. They've rebelled against God. And God did what God does. When Israel rebels, he removes his hand of blessing. And Asaph writes this. It's a plea for God to return his favor. We're going to read... Here, in, beginning in verse 7, Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root. 
and it filled the land. And he continues talking about the vine there in the 80th Psalm. But what is this vine he talks about? This vine that he brought out of Egypt and he planted in a particular place. He's talking about Israel, isn't he? And as we continue, the psalmist Asaph knows what Jeremiah said. As Jeremiah quoted God, as he prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 21, Jeremiah records God saying this, Yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. And then it turns south from there. God says, How then? Have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? Wow. Talk about being scolded by the Creator. He said, I planted you, a, talking to Israel, I planted you a noble vine, and you, now you've turned into a degenerate plant. Why is this so important? What are the, what do the vineyards do? They produce fruit. What does fruit do? It nourishes, it sustains life, it blesses the recipient. And when we look at Israel's purpose, we look in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, who he would later rename Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and, I, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through Israel, all the families of the earth should be blessed. Through this vine that God calls Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, all the nation of the world should be blessed. But then Jeremiah says that God says that vine has turned in to a degenerate plant of an alien vine. It was the spiritual fruit produced by the nation of Israel that was supposed to bless all the world. The disciples, being good Jewish men, would have known that. They would have gotten that imagery. And now Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, now I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. Israel is no longer the vine. I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. I am, he says, the fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham. Israel messed it up. God remained true. God kept his word. Jesus says, I am the vine. You've been looking for it. Here it is. So we know who the vine is but Jesus says in John chapter 15 the vine has to be tended and as the vine Jesus was not just some wild grapevine out in the woods he was a well cultivated and a well maintained vine that something Israel could never have accomplished and you know as with any crop that's being produced for commercial purposes the vineyards took a lot of work they initially, years and years prior, had been planted and they've over time been fertilized and watered and the weeds have been removed and all this stuff has happened. But Jesus lists two specific jobs of the vine dresser here that we need to pay special attention to back in verse 1. 
I am the true vine, and my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So he says that the vine dresser does two things. He takes away that that's dead, that, that does not bear fruit. He prunes that which is alive, that which does bear fruit. There's an important reason why you take the dead wood away. It attracts insects. It can cause disease within the plant. And this, you're making a lot of money. This is an important vine. You've got to get the dead wood out. The church is an important living organism that Jesus created and that he's still building. And as he's talking to his disciples, and I told you this morning, this is a reference to Judas. It's a reference to any dead wood in the church. He says he takes it away. It may abide with the vine for a little while. It may abide with the living branches for a little while, but it's dead. It's eventually got to go. Pruning is an important part of the entire process. It's the most important part of the whole process of the vineyard. I told you I learned a lot about grapevines, and I found out that there are some important steps in pruning. First of all, the first pruning comes in the spring when the vines are flowering. And they go, and they remove the growing tips of the vigorous, I'm going to have to read this because I can't remember this part. They remove the growing tips of the vigorous shoots so they won't grow too fast. I guess they're trained in such a way they know which ones are the more vigorous shoots. They have to cut off one to two feet from the end of the growing shoots to prevent the entire shoot from being snapped off by the wind. That's important. They have to remove some of the flower or the grape clusters so that the others get more nutrients and can produce better and more fruit. And they have to remove the suckers that arose below so they don't weaken the strength of the whole vine. So Jesus says, first, you've got to get rid of all the dead stuff. The stuff that from a distance looks like it belongs there. From the outside and from a distance, it looks like it belongs there. That's the dead vines. You get closer, I mean the dead branches. You get closer and you realize they don't belong and you remove them. And then you prune the living vines. And you say, well, you know what? I'm among the living vines. Jesus is the branch and I'm connected to him. I know I'm saved. Well, guess what? Jesus says it's time to prune. When God prunes us, he removes anything that hinders our relationship with him or that prevents us from being as fruitful as possible for his kingdom. Just like the vine dresser prunes the grapevines to take away anything that could hinder the maximum production of fruit or anything that could cause it to be destroyed. When he prunes us, it might not always make sense to us. It wouldn't make sense to me to watch a vine dresser go and he says, I've got to remove this cluster of blooms. And I'm thinking, but that's going to make you some money. Those are going to turn into grapes. He says, no, this may look good right now. This may be something that looks good, but I know best. And if we remove this, it's going to mean more fruit down the road. It reminds me of a passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. 
verse 11. I'll read it from the New International Version. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Don't you think pruning sounds a little painful? I mean, quite literally cutting stuff off. The writer of Hebrews says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline or pruning can seem painful, but aren't you glad? In John chapter 15, Jesus told us not how we can eliminate the pain, but how we can ease, how we can ease the pain by washing the dishes. Come full circle. Now we've got to wash the dishes. You see, those dirty dishes have been sitting for a while now. Lunch was a long time ago. You know, if it's anything like around our house, we'll eat and say, you know what? Let my food settle a little bit. That means I don't feel like washing the dishes right now. And then when you come back, all that dried on food. You're supposed to clean them off before you put them in the dishwasher. Why you even got a dishwasher, right? But it's all there. You got to get it off. The pots and the pans, it's cooked on. It's dried on. Well, you better get ready to put in some elbow grease or... You could let them soak, just like you did the beans. You just let those dishes abide in that hot water with a little Dawn dish soap in there. Let them stay for a little while. The longer, the better. Put off washing those dishes for as long as you can, because the longer they soak, the easier it is to get all that mess off. You know what Jesus says? He says, abide in me. And it'll loosen all that stuff up in your life that the Father wants to get off of there. Abide in me, and it's going to be easier when the Father comes around and prunes. See, it's important that we soak because it changes every fiber of us, just like it changes every fiber of those beans we soaked last night. And it's important that we soak because it makes it easier when the Father comes around to prune. And we'll end up bearing much more fruit for the kingdom of God. So I challenge you this week. I challenge you to spend more time abiding. Abide in Jesus. Abide in his word. Let his word abide in you. We'll see what a difference it makes. Let's close this portion of our service with a word of prayer. All right. Father, thank you so much that you do give us these truths from your word that allow us to live a life that's pleasing to you. And Father, I pray that this week, I pray that I'd spend more time abiding in you. I pray that you'd plant inside me a desire to do just that. And I pray the same thing for each one of those who are here physically or those who are listening online. And Father, I just ask that every time we look at a bowl of beans or every time we look at dishes that need to be washed we think about the fact we need to abide in you and I pray that you'd give us those little reminders each and every day that you got to prune the bad stuff away and it may be painful for just a little while but father we look forward to the harvest of righteousness you've promised when we allow you to prune on us I pray that you'd go with us from this place I ask your blessings upon those who are here those who are watching Father, I ask that you'd keep us safe as we go home. Bring us back together Wednesday night. Bring us back together next Sunday morning, Sunday night. We pray for those who 
are not able to be here for whatever reason, Father, and we pray that you'd allow them to be back with us the next time we meet. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.